Well, it's a good time of year. I love this time of year because our garden, your garden, is coming in, right? You got the green beans coming in strong. and Yes? The onions and sweet corn, about tomatoes are looking good. Karen is a, a, a canner, and so she will... She will literally babysit this group of pint jars of green beans in the pressure cooker. She'll sit in the kitchen reading a book for three hours with one eye on the gauge. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, I realize, but uh, it's a great time to be eating lots of, lots of good stuff. Trouble is, I like gluten. <laughs> gluten is my favorite food group. I do not understand people who live on gluten-free diets, unless, of course, they're a small percentage of the population that actually has some kind of allergy or reaction or unable to digest gluten, whatever that would be. But um, I love gluten. I, I, I mean, it has glue right in the name. And that's, remember kindergarten? That's why we ate the paste, you guys. We were craving gluten. Did did. Did anybody eat the paste? All right. That explains a lot. That's why we eat the paste, because it's got glue in it, and we're craving gluten. Yesterday, we went to Athens, to Ohio. My, my jet wasn't ready to go to Greece, so we went to Athens, Ohio, to visit our granddaughter, who's in school there, and went to the Texas Roadhouse for lunch. And uh, I filled up on the bread before my food got there. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's just hard not to just say, yeah, up another basket. That probably would be good. Take your time on the ribs. I love gluten. You know, we're going to continue working through this passage that we started last week from John chapter 6. And uh, the idea is that since Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, then there's no real... uh, opportunity for gluten-free Christianity. you got to eat the bread. hate to comment on it, you guys, but I know you're still working with the new stuff. i got a little ring up here, so if you could uh, press the don't ring button, that would be great. Thanks for your patience on our work with some of the new stuff. Sounds great, though, doesn't it? Yeah. So we're going to continue through this. Uh, the context, of course, in this passage, John chapter 6, we're going to pick it up in verse... Uh, 30 is the same as last week because it's the same passage. They're coming off two big events, the feeding of 5,000 with bread, with gluten and fish is really how the Greek reads. And so there was that big event and then the walking on water. And so just as we, we unpacked that more last week, we'll let that be assumed information And in the meat of the passage last week, then Jesus stunned them, first of all, with the call not to work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which he said, which the Son of Man will give you. That we're going to live in this continuum kind of tension between working in this world to pay the rent for the food that ultimately spoils, can't take any of it with us, and working for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And so the call of Jesus was that following him means moving in this direction because he'll take care of this stuff. 
And then, uh, so they answered him back, doing this work for food that spoils. And they answered with a question. They said, well, what, what, what is the work that God requires of us? And he just straight stunned them with his answer. The work of God is this, is to believe in the one he has sent. To believe in the one he has sent. Not to believe about the one he has sent, but to believe in the one he has sent. That's the whole work of our faith, is to believe in the one he has sent. Ordering our lives then around a central belief in the power of Jesus Christ. Well, today the conversation continues in John chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 30 through 34. So after he said, the work is to believe in the one he has sent, he said, so they, it says, so they asked him, well, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? They kind of messed up the question. What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Sounds a lot better, by the way. Thank you. Whatever button you pushed. Keep it down. Okay, great. <laughs> Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Lord, we invite the present power and ministry of your Holy Spirit to come and to bring this word to our hearts through our minds. We want to ask you to come in the wisdom of, of who you are and to speak it to our minds in ways that we can embrace, but also come in the love that you are and, and just press it down into our hearts, Lord, so that we can live out our lives as believers uh, who bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So breaking down this conversation, I think it kind of has five main points. And the first one is verse 30 when they say, well, what, what cool thing, Jesus, will you do to keep us interested? And so he said, the work of God is to believe in the one he sent. And their answer, so they asked him, well, what miraculous sign then will you give so that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? I mean, he, they just messed up the question. Because they didn't hear what he said from last week when he said, I tell you the truth, when they were looking for him when he had crossed the lake, you're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You know, you're not, you think you want a miracle, but what you want is me. You think what it is that will keep you in the game is to see the move after the move after the move of God. But what it is that you really want is me. And so... You know, they're asking again for a miracle. And they're saying that they need constant reassurance that he's really the one. Constant reassurance. What, what miraculous thing will you do so that we can be sure it's you? Now, by this time, Jesus had already changed water into wine. He had healed a Roman official's son. He had caused a, a lame man to walk who had been paralyzed for 38 years. He fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, and he walked on water. And their, their question is, well, what cool thing will you do so that we can believe in you? Do you see what's going wrong here? It's such a fascination with the things that God can do that they missed God. 
they ran the risk of missing God. There's something inside of us, isn't there, that just keeps fighting against having a supernatural worldview. You know, we get this going on where we have a relationship with God, our worldview begins to change. We see that God can do all these things, but more importantly, we're living from a new space. We're living from a new a point of view, a new worldview. Everything's changed. You know what I'm talking about, right? Because some of you have had radical paradigm shifts in your worldview since coming here. And God has worked in your head a lot. But have you noticed that there's always something fighting against that? There's always something that's trying to interrupt holding on to that and being that person. Um, and, and uh, you know, I was reflecting this week, and my relationship with Jesus became as solid as a rock long before I saw him walk on water. Because like many of you, I was introduced to Christ into a group of believers that taught that this stuff doesn't still happen. But what they taught was that this is the Bible, it's the living word of God, that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, and that you need to have a personal relationship with him. And so I embraced that. And entered into a personal relationship with him. And spent my time reading the Bible and praying, telling people about Jesus, and just being that person. And I, I guess the point I want to make is that I'm not in this because I've seen God do cool things. Although I've seen God do cool things. I'm in this because of a rock-solid relationship that I have with God through his son Jesus Christ irrespective of anything he's ever done. And I, want, I just want to encourage you with that. I want to encourage you with that. That the Christian life is not a matter of running from one big event to the next. You'll have big events. But it's a, it's a matter of walking daily in a rock-solid relationship with the Lord, Jesus Christ. That's the essence of of our relationship, because he's bread. You notice he didn't say, I, I'm a Cinnabon. I'm the, he didn't say, I'm a, a Cinnabon of life. He said, I'm bread. I'm bread. <laughs> it's, it's an everyday thing, isn't it? And so knowing Jesus is about eating the bread, ordering our lives in such a way that we eat the bread, and praise God, every now and then, we get a Cinnabon, Yes? Hoo-hoo. So, you know, they started by saying, well, what cool thing will you do to keep us interested? And then they, they went on and they developed their question by saying, is there any chance you're half as good as Moses was? In verse 31, they say, our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. You know, they said, what, what, what cool thing will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus, as we'll see in a moment, references Moses. And so they're saying, we follow Moses now, although generations later, we follow Moses because he did some cool stuff. He got food to fall from heaven. What cool thing will you do? In spite of the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish wasn't enough, but Moses did this really cool thing what cool thing? Are you anywhere near as good as Moses? How much confidence should we put in you, Jesus? And it's true that um, 
Moses was an amazing servant of God, uh, but this comparison is unfair for Moses. Are you half as good as Moses? You know what? It seems to happen all the time in our lives. It's like we, stri- we live for hierarchy. Where are you? Where, are, you know, where is that person I have confidence in on the hierarchy? If I could get a better fill-in-the-blank, would I take them? And we live in this sense of hierarchy that in some ways is killing us. It hurts us, but it's so natural. I mean, can you imagine when Woody Hayes came to be coach? What is the name of the school again? I forget. What is it? You don't, even have to know, you don't even have to know what the joke was. Just hearing Charlie laugh was. So Woody Hayes comes. And what's, what's going to be the question? Are, are, you, are you half as good as Paul Brown, right? Who had one national championship, right? How many did Woody have? Five, right? But then, who, you know, a little later on, who comes? Jim Tressel comes. Are you half as good as... Woody. He had one national championship, right? Later on, some Urban Meyer guy comes along. Are you as good as... How many has he had so far? One, right. This is all good. I, I would have thought you'd been throwing these numbers at me. I mean, I had to look them up. Because <laughs> I ain't from here. You know, if you're going to do it, do it. All righty then, Lord. There we go. Thank you, Pam. So we have this ongoing tendency to try to compare someone to someone else. It happens all the time. They were doing it to Jesus. And what we're doing when we do that, I believe, is we are trying to control our relationship with God. We are trying to control our relationship with God instead of inviting God to control his relationship with us. We are trying to set the terms of our relationship with God by saying, God, I'm going to be in this with you if you do this, 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 and this. I think it's great to ask for this, 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 and this, and this. But it doesn't change one iota, our foundational relationship of God in the salvation that Jesus Christ has offered us. So um, it moves on. Jesus answers them after their question. He starts by saying, I have bad news for you. And basically his answer is that Moses didn't do that. Verse 32 Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. It wasn't Moses who gave you the bread. Only God can give us the bread. Human vessels are essentially irrelevant to the process. And yet they're the ones we can see, right? Got to look past to the one who's given the bread. To the one only God can do this. Only God can build a church. 
Did you know this? Jesus said, you're Peter, and on this rock I'll do what? I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus Christ is the one who builds the church. People come to churches sometimes because they're curious, and they stay for a while, and their curiosity is either satisfied or not satisfied, and maybe they drift down the road. Understandable. But some people are here because God has placed you here. Because God builds the church. You know, when uh, this church started growing real fast, a number of years ago, Pastor Denny went to plant the Madison County Vineyard. He and I, we would go to these regular pastor's meetings that we were assigned to go to and hated, but we would go, and people would say to us, man, what, how are you guys doing that? And we would look at each other and we'd go, I don't know, we, we get up and we pray and we do what God says. And people got angry with us that we wouldn't tell them how we were growing our church. But we didn't know how we were growing our church. We were praying and doing what we heard God say. And there's so much in America today, so much methodology, methodology attached to church growth that I should think that good people like you would be among the most cynical people in the world. Because you've been, you've been manipulated. You've been manipulated to come to this church because of this or that church because of that. And it's, it's the methods of man. There's a book that was real popular by a megachurch pastor called Fusion, Turning First-Time Guests into Fully Engaged Members. I mean, at its core, that hurts your feelings, doesn't it? Turning first-time guests into fully engaged members. Now, can there be a logical system, a process set up to help people so it's at least organized, people know what to do next? Of course. But in the core of that title, it, it says that we as men, as leaders, are somehow tasked with turning you into something. Turning you into something. Here you are, you stumble in off the streets for God knows whatever reason. And it's our job somehow to turn you into something. It is not our job to turn you into anything. It is our job to set the table of God from the word of God and invite you to come and eat and let God do the turning. Amen. Wherever that goes is wherever that goes. I'm good with that. We could be a much larger crowd, but I don't think we could be a larger church. You hear what I'm saying? Because God builds the church. We are two C's away from being a giant crowd if we wanted to be. Would you like to know what those two C's are? Coffee and construction. <laughs> we could be a much larger crowd if we built a bigger building and put up the youth facility and served coffee. We could be a much larger crowd but I'm not persuaded we'd be any larger church. God does this. Anything you want doesn't come from man. It comes from God. So he says, I got bad news for you guys. You're all excited about Moses. It turns out he wasn't that big a deal. He was a pretty reluctant prophet from the beginning, wasn't he? But then he says, I have good news for you. Verse 33, the one who actually did that bread thing is standing right here in front of you. 
Verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Who's that? Jesus, who's here? Jesus, by the power of his Holy Spirit, he's here. And he said, I am your daily bread. Isn't it interesting that he taught us to pray that way? Give us this day our what? Our weekly pizza? Our monthly Cinnabon? No, give us this day our daily bread. That this is going to be a daily walk with the Lord. Where we connect with him on a daily basis. Where we turn our hearts to him and where we eat the bread from his hand. The thing that you're craving in your life, truly craving, is not another witness to a miracle, although that's cool and I'm all for it. What you're craving is a consistent supply of bread from the hand of God. And so once they said that, then uh, he said that, then they responded in verse 34, Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Something happened. Something happened in that exchange. And they saw something. They saw something in Jesus. They saw something in Jesus they hadn't seen before. And they said, yeah, you're the one we want. Sorry about the Moses crack. You're the one we want. From now on, give us this bread. I love the phrase, from now on. One of the things that I love most about walking with Jesus is the unlimited number of from now on moments we get to have. You know what I'm saying? From now on. From now on. How many know what I'm talking about? An unlimited number of... I got it. From now on. It's a fresh set of downs, isn't it? Mm -hmm. From now on. I love that about Jesus. That he can... interacts with us, we become aware of something maybe we should have been aware of before, maybe something we were aware of, maybe, maybe it's a repeat of a from now on moment we had before. And it blows your mind, doesn't it? To think that that's the way the gospel works, that the love of God is so high, so wide, so deep, so profound, that there is an unlimited number of from now on moments available for us. Because he's the bread. Because every day you wake up hungry. You wake up in the same need, yes? Okay. So a few questions as we move toward the end here. Question. Smoked some of you out on that one. First question, what are we talking about here? What we're talking about is that our walk with the Lord is not an unceasing supply of ever more intense miraculous experiences, but it's a daily walk with him where he is our bread. And then the cool stuff happens when God wants it to happen. What we're talking about here is that making an intentional and personal connection with the Lord on a daily basis is the very substance of our walk with him. It's really so easy to... That's so basic, I know, saying it. But it's so so easy to drift from that, isn't it? It's so easy to fall into the pattern of kind of the Sunday thing. I'll go get my juice, and hopefully it'll last me all the way to the next Sunday. You know. The reality is, Jesus has bread for us every day. He modeled it. He modeled it. He retreated constantly to the Father's presence. Got up, the Bible says, when it was still dark and went off and prayed. He modeled it. He commanded it. He taught us to pray for it every day. 
And we prosper when we do it. He's our daily bread. And the caution is, you know, my daily times with the Lord and yours, they're not amazing every day. They're not amazing. I know this is going to come as a great shock to you, but you know, Karen's been married to me for 43 years, and every day hasn't been amazing for her. I know. You find that hard to believe, I realize, but it's a daily thing, isn't it? With some amazing moments. Yeah? For her. Well, I was using her as the primary, you know, and me, of course. One question is, what happens when I do this? So let's say I buy into this, that, okay, I'm going to be sure to have a daily, true daily connection, eating of the bread thing. What happens when I do this? Well, so many, many things happen. I just want to point out a couple. One of the most amazing things when you do this is that your sense of the abiding covenant of Christ is refreshed. You know, when you get up and when you connect with him, you know you're saved by a covenant, by the blood covenant of Jesus. And that's an abiding thing. That's something that cannot be shaken by any outside force. That's an abiding, enduring thing. And by, but by connecting with the Lord in, in a daily bread approach, that's refreshed. You're reminded. You, you, so you set out on your day with food in your stomach, with power in your heart, because you understand that you are a son or a daughter of the living God. And that's what happens as we make that discipline of connecting with him. Uh, and the covenant doesn't change. The covenant is abiding. But your sense of it and your sense of your place in the covenant changes, is refreshed. And I think another thing that happens when you connect with the Lord in this way on a daily basis is you get anew from now on. The Bible says that God's mercies are new every morning. Every every morning. And I'm not sure that that refers to necessarily a time of day, since it's always morning somewhere, right? But each day, God has a fresh set of downs for you guys. But you got to go get it. you got to go embrace it. You You need a new from now on moment? He said, yeah, but yesterday was so bad. I fell in areas that I promised him I would never fall. You need a fresh set of downs. You need a new from now on moment with the Lord. I get that. His mercies are new every morning. Another question about eating the bread on a daily basis is maybe, how do I know when I'm doing it well? How do I know when I'm on a good diet with the Lord? First of all, let's all agree, no one has ever done this perfectly. So no one, no one has ever done this perfectly. So we have to give ourselves and others grace for that. No one has ever done it perfectly. But I think if you'll turn in Galatians 5, you'll see that there's a contrast between two lives that will tell you when you're on a good diet. In Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, and Paul says, So I say live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So that's what we're going for. How do I know when I'm living by the Spirit, eating the bread, having a dynamic relationship with God? He said in verse 17, For the sinful nature desires, desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, 
so that you do not do what you want. Anybody relate? Okay. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. Now what that means is that Jesus Christ has died for your failures. You're not under the law. You're not under the judgment of the law, even when you fail. But then he makes a contrast in verse 19, that the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, very important designation, live like this, will not inherit the kingdom of God. You may be both um, encouraged and discouraged by that list. You may look at that list and go, well, at least I don't do that one, right? (laughs) But at the same time, you look at that list and you go, ah, yeah? But there's stuff in there that gets you. No one here is judging you. The word of God is convicting you. There's such a huge difference. So you read down through that list, and if that characterizes your life, then you're not eating. You're not on a good diet. Because of the contrast in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, so as you live in the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we, by the, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, and let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So as you look at that other list, you are perhaps discouraged and encouraged at the same time. And you look at those things and you say, oh, yeah, I think that's true of me. And then you look at one or two of them and you go, "Ah, when is that going to be true of me? And in reality, the question is, how do I know when I'm living, uh, eating a good diet, which one of these is more true of you, by substantially more true of you, is the question you have to ask. Because this diet is something that moves us away from the first list and into the second list. Now, we already said no one has ever lived the second list perfectly. So when we fail, we seek forgiveness. And we move on. But in reality, the question you want to ask yourself is, am I moving from the first list substantially to the second list? And that's when you know you're eating well. At the end of the day, I just want you to know that you've got to eat the bread. You've got to eat the bread. There is no gluten-free Christianity. Jesus Christ said, I'm the bread of life. And uh, you've got to eat the bread. You've got to come to the Lord. It's so much more than believing about the story of God. It's about believing in the, the subject, the hero of the story, Jesus Christ, and having relationship. So for ministry this morning, I'd just like to ask you, um, you know, what are you hungry for? What are you hungry for, really? In your heart, what are you hungry for? What are you longing for? Maybe it's something in that second list, the fruit of the Spirit stuff. You go, I'm really longing for that. I'm really hungry for that. What are you hungry for? Maybe something else. What are you hungry for? What would be the best thing that could happen in context of a few moments with the Lord here this morning? What's the best thing that could happen? That's what you're hungry for. That's what you want to present yourself to God for. And another question for you to ask yourself is, are you in a spot where you just need 
a from now on moment to start again. <laughs> There's just something that has touched you or spoken to you that you say, I, I need to move past. I need a from now on moment. Could be some issue in your life, could be some habit, some practice. Again, no one here is judging you, but if the word of God is coming and convicting you, then that's an invitation of the Lord to say, okay, it's time to press the reset button. Have the covenant of Christ renewed in your life. And from now on. And from now on, you're asking God to come and give you the strength to move from this place forward. From now on. Maybe you're having a from now on moment. Well, whatever your hunger is, whatever your need is today, I know the Lord's here. He wants to meet it. So what, we're gonna, what I think we should do is, um, is we, should, we should honor the Lord with our song, with our heart. We should have some prayer ministry people come on up, prayer team folks come on up and make yourselves available to pray. And as always here at the Vineyard, you know, you're free to just respond. Just respond to the move of the Lord in your life as he's stirring you today, okay? Church, let's stand. Father in heaven, we invite your presence and your power into our life. We thank you for building this church, Lord. We thank you for building a place like this a people like this. We thank you, Lord, for having intention for our lives and seeing where we were and where we could be because of your grace. And so we invite you to come for every single one of us. Begin with me, Lord, and examine our hearts. Stir inside of us, God, the, the things that um, would bring you the most glory today. What kind of response would just give you the most pleasure here among us today? So we invite you to come and move among us and to do what you desire to do here. In Jesus' name.